You're going to be the hero or the goat, Warren. I know. That's the story of my life. Hi again, everybody. Jungle Jim Jerome coming out with another episode of Inside Curling. Uh, I think our producers now, uh, fellows, as much as they ask Kevin and Warren, Jimmy, is it possible you could do one show where we don't have to edit a bunch of stuff? Uh, <laughs> and the answer, Kev, you told them, is no. <laughs> You're going to have to do Impossible. Lots. Yeah, we've got a great show for you uh, coming up today uh, with a, our regular segments and uh, our guest, uh, what a grab. We've got the new president of the World Curling Federation, Bo Welling, uh, and we can't wait to talk to him. We want to thank our sponsors who are back with us once again this year, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world, Nestle Boost, sponsor of the Mailbag Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics, and Goldline, who brings you In the House, which is our guest segment. Are you ready to go today, Kev? You've got to, uh, you're, you're Grand Prairie guy, uh, as we as we record the uh grand slam event is underway and uh you're heading up there again to do some tv you bet yeah this week yeah another great is gonna be a terrific event this is a big one with the tour challenge hearing life tour challenge 64 teams jimmy 32 uh women's teams 32 men's teams massive event uh two arenas um just terrific so looking forward to it and uh yeah we we fire up on uh well the events actually uh started on tuesday but uh, TVs turn on on Thursday. 64 teams. Jimmy, it's the biggest Grand Slam event so far since uh, the Grand Slam started. We had had uh, events of 60, 6-0 teams, but never 64. So this is the biggest there has been and, and fantastic. Boy, that'll double the population of Grand Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> Should maybe clarify, though, Kevin, that it's two tiers, right? First tier and second tier. So uh, it's a 16-team men's women's first tier event and also a 16-team men's and women's Tier 2 event. So that's actually two separate events going on. What's the biggest event you played in, Warren, in your career, most teams? Oh, back in the old days, Jim, uh, the city of Edmonton Bonspiel and the city of Winnipeg Bonspiels would, Winnipeg would have three to 500 teams in it. Oh, my God. Uh, even the old Edmonton city, city, city Bonspiels would have 300 teams in it. They'd go on for 10 days in every curling club in the city. So... They don't really exist anymore, but there was a time when uh, when they did. In the cities, uh, in Edmonton, and probably maybe the same in Winnipeg, I do not know this, but in, in Edmonton, every sheet was numbered differently. So say the Avenir Curling Club was 51 to 58. Oh, okay. And then the yep. Derrick would be something else, you know. And, yep. and uh, from so that when you got your sheet number in these big bond spiels, you'd know what building you had to go to to play your game. Oh, cool, man. Those were event bond spiels, so there'd be 10, 12 events uh, in, those, in those bond spiels. So you, had, you were guaranteed like eight or nine games. So they were, they were quite the experience. It was, a, it was a week-long party is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hanson, I, I bet with uh, what Kevin just said, with sheets of ice being you know, numbered, uh, but, but one would be at the south end of Edmonton and the other would be at, at the north end. I bet no one had any difficulty with team members showing up at the wrong spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Happened all the time. With no cell phones. <laughs> where's, where's, where, where the hell's Hanson? You're, at the wrong, you're in the wrong town. Yeah. Let's get to it. Here's what's on the show today. What's happening around the curling world? number of curling events were held in Canada this past week. 
And uh, a lot of the teams stayed back from the uh, Boost Nationals, uh, some of the European teams. Uh, this week, it's the Hearing Life Tour Challenge in Grand Prairie. Kev, you're going to be up there, so we'll take a look at that. We talked last week about some of the struggles going on with the USA curling, uh, in particular the situation surrounding the CEO, uh, Jeff Plush. Yeah, a bit of a, bit of a tough one to talk about, but uh, we're going to give you an update on what has happened in the last week and where things currently sit with that story. Curling Canada announced this week on what its position would be on the no-tick rule that was incorporated last week for the World Men's and Women's Championships uh, for 2023. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Hot Rock Topics. Uh, we also talked last week about curling dues and uh, the dispute going on in the USA. Canada has also had many issues with how to apply the dues to its curlers uh, over the years. We're going to talk about that. We'll take a look at the situation with curling, what the provinces pay and how all that works. Mailbag. Kevin Wolf, uh, this guy's good. He's like our he's like our feature emailer. Uh, <laughs> sent us a note with a number of points, uh, but today we're going to take a look at his comments about how to place a curling bet. Now we're talking, Martin. Now we're talking, baby. Okay, this just in. I don't mind the action a little bit, fellas. Okay, I don't mind the action. So when you guys make your picks today on the event up in Grand Prairie, believe me, I'm listening. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, we've got Bo Welling, who's coming on the show, the president of the WCF. All right, let's get to it, boys. Uh, what's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada's sports book. you got to be 19 years old uh, to play and in Ontario only for now. So please play responsibly. Uh, as I mentioned, a number of spiels were held this past weekend. That would best be referred to as a Tier 2 event, uh, but a number of international teams were participating in two of them. The Western Showdown in Swift Current was a women's event, and in Stroud, Ontario, a men's event took place that had a number of European teams that played in last week's Boost National in North Bay, and they're playing this week up in Grand Prairie. Kev, what, what, do, you, what do you got to tell us about all that? Well, I've got a real shock for you, uh, Jimmy. Uh, a team by the name of Sylvana Terranzoni oh. won, beat Beth Peterson in the semi 6 1, and beat Abby Ackland in the final 8 to 1 with a five ender in the fifth. So Terranzoni's on a real roll. And we were talking before, we're, we, before we uh, came on air that I'm not sure if Terranzoni's lost an event this year. He just keeps winning all the time. And, and remember, Jim, that's with a new front end. Mm-hmm. With uh, Kara Holvard and uh, and Briar Schwaller uh, Herleman, amazing to have a new front end come on and just come out of the gates so strong, uh, incredible. And that was in Swift Current. So there's a men event, men's event in Stroud Sleeman event. It's called, and uh, in the final, Yannick Schwaller beat Pat Ferris eight to four. Uh, he had a big four ender in the fifth, uh, but in the quarter actually played uh, Joel Retornas. You know, obviously a team that we've been watching lately get better and better and better. Beat them in the quarters. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, Briar Schwaller Herleman. Of course, everybody knows her as Briar Herleman, but now uh, married Yannick. So that's a, a big congratulations over the summer to them, to uh, big names in, in curling. I wanted to mention too, Warren, that the Masters curling in uh, Champery, uh Magnus Ramsfell. A name that everybody oh, would know yeah. beat Wouter Gosgens out of the Netherlands five uh, four in that final. So, a lot of curling going on every week right now. This is kind of the high point of the tour. There's there's play all over the world right now. It's pretty exciting, and but you know what? You see the 
the same teams rising to the top. These are these are tough teams from uh, from Europe and from the last slam. You know, they they stayed in Canada, played uh, a couple of the big events, and now off to uh, Grand Prairie for the Hearing Life Tour Challenge. You know, uh, Kevin, they, they should re-induct you into the World Curling Hall of Fame for pronouncing all those names. Well done. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I would have done with those names. <laughs> no one would know who won. <laughs> Uh, Kevin, uh, or, or Warren and Kevin, I'd like you to answer this. When, when you see these teams, Kevin, it happened with Mowat, uh, last year and, and the Dean, uh, and, and now you have, uh, Terenzoni from Italy. When you look at these, uh, teams rise to that, Kevin, and, and, and whip everyone's butt, is it mostly strategy, Kevin, or is it straight skill from these teams that they end up doing so well? Well, in the case of, of Silvana Terenzoni, the last rock thrower, Alina Petz, is absolutely amazing. So in that, I've just, I've really got to say it's skill. Like, Silvana's great, too, and, yeah. and the front end. But Alina is just something special. She She's a, just an amazing athlete. Um, when it comes to Bruce Mowat, I'd like to say that it's, uh, I wouldn't say strategic, but just precision. The whole team. Mm-hmm. That's a team mm-hmm. effort. All four. Now, Bruce is fantastic, but... All four are really good at their craft when it comes to right. Team Mowat. You look at Team Adine, um, they hardly ever miss anymore. Brad Guju, uh, these top teams are, are phenomenal now. So it's really exciting looking in, trying to look into the future, how, where our sport's going to go because the athletes are getting so, so good. And, uh, and with the new rules that have been put into curling, there's more and more rocks in play and wild shots. And in my opinion, I love it. I just think it's just fantastic. Right. Really fortunate to be in the in the commentating booth. I, you know, I have the bird's eye view of, of these awesome shots that occur. And uh, yeah, it, it's pretty phenomenal right now. Our game is pretty special right now. What makes them so good now, Warren, compared to 60 years ago when you curled? What are they doing different? Well, I think it's much like golf. It is the uh, it's the equipment. I think it is the players are far more honed to their skills. They're practicing more. They're playing more. They're more attentive. It's just it's just a progress. And uh, with anything, the longer it seems to exist in, in the way of sports, the better people get because they're de- dedicating more time to it, and mm-hmm. everything becomes more refined. Right. So the more these players play, the better they are going to get. And that's that's a lot of it. Yeah, good point. Yeah, they get to play a lot more. Okay, last week we talked about a situation involving USA Curling CEO Jeff Plush and the National Women's Soccer League uh, that took place when Plush was the commissioner about six years ago. As a result, in October of 2021, U.S. Soccer contracted former USA Attorney General Sally Yates to investigate alleged abuse and sexual misconduct in the National Soccer Women's League. The report was released about two weeks ago and contains some pretty damning accusations towards a number of people involved with the NSWL during that time. Uh, Yates claimed that Plush did not respond to her request for an interview. USA Curling announced a few days later it would further review the situation with Plush, although it also indicated they had conducted a full interview a year ago when they first became aware of that situation. Uh, nothing good, Warren, comes out of these things. Uh, what's it all about, Warren? Bring us up to date. Well, after our show last week, things went fairly quiet. There was a huge amount of chatter, however, on social media. And for the most part, people were were trying to suggest Plus should be terminated. Finally, on Friday the 14th, USA Curling put out a release 
and I will put forward probably the key things that it said uh, as follows. Following the release of the Yates report, an investigation commissioned by U.S. soccer into the allegations of abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in a WNWSL, the USA Curling Board called a special session and immediately commissioned an investigation of the information contained in the Yates report. Reviewing the results of the investigation, the board is confident in Jeff Plush's ability to continue as an effective leader of the organization. The findings in this investigation, Jeff's candor during the interviews with the board, and his actions during his time with USA Curling reassured the board about his strong commitment to upholding the very high standards for athlete well-being. Mm -hmm. The board is also encouraged by Jeff's willingness to fully cooperate in the ongoing NSWL investigation. So interesting. Um, I find that uh, they mentioned he wasn't cooperating with the investigation, yet Yates said he didn't. The USA Curling Board, if you think this is going to go away, I don't think it is. Uh, maybe it would have 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, but today I don't think so. And the rumbling on social media since the release would suggest the resistance is growing momentum. It reminds me to a very large degree of what's going on with Hockey Canada for the last six months. Mm-hmm and started much the same way. Uh, they responded in a similar way to USA Curling. It went on, it went on. As it continued to go on, more things continued to happen. Sponsors started to drop. Then members started to uh, withdraw from the organization. And six months later, what could have probably been averted initially happened in the fact that the board and CEO all had to resign. Uh, I think USA Curling needs to take a look at this. They have two approaches, I think, to, to get, get through it. One is, I think, is for them to go public now and disclose everything that they have come up with in their investigations and exactly what the situation is because no one really knows. I think the second one, which is more complicated but would certainly clear the air, is a third-party independent independent investigator uh, being appointed maybe by the U.S. OPC and uh, that they would go in and do a full report review, make the report public, and everybody agrees to live or die by what that report says. And there's other problems facing USA Curling as well. It's almost the end of October. There's no site or date for the 2023 U.S. Nationals, which usually happens in February, held in an arena since 2008. So to get an arena with three months' notice is going to be difficult. There's no site mentioned for the U.S. Mixed Doubles Nationals. And I think as well, Curling Night in America, which has been with them for, I would say, probably 10 years, seems to also disappeared. And so I think they've got a lot of problems there, and I hope that they can find some way through to solve them all. Kevin, do you have any comments on that whole situation? Not really, Warren. I know you've done a huge amount of research over the last time, so you know we have, I appreciate all the work you're doing, Warren. Uh, it's a lot of work trying to get to, the, to figure out this stuff. The workplace culture's changed. I'm old enough to know that it's way different now, and you're going to be brought to the fore uh, when this happens, so... Ugly situation, uh, Warren, but but like Kevin said, thanks a lot for looking into it, and uh, everyone will be curious as to what's going to happen with this. So, This week, Curling Canada announced it would incorporate the no-tick rule. God, this is it seems we talk about this uh, every week, but it's a big one. <laughs> a, everybody's talking about it, Jimmy. You can't ignore things that are being I talked know, about I all know. over the place. I know. I'm waiting for the no-no-tick rule one day, okay? <laughs> that uh, They're going to incorporate it into this year's Briar and Scotty's. Last week, it was mentioned that the WCF had introduced this into the world for next year, 2023, I guess, Warren, right? They're talking about doing that? Yes. Good idea. Why does Canada not just automatically accept these rule adjustments? 
made by the WCF. I, I thought they did. But uh, how come, Warren? Well, this has always been an interesting thing with Canada. Maybe it's because they were the biggest curling nation in the world and, and uh, thought that they were kind of special. But we can go back to many cases in time. I go back to the 70s when the hogline rule was changed. It took Canada almost a year to get caught up to what it was then going to be. Then there was the free guard zone. Big dispute, big battle. The WCF went to a four-rock rule. Canada chose to stay with a three-rock rule for almost five years before they changed. So what happens here again is the WCF passes this thing, and then Canada has to come out two weeks later and say, yeah, we're going to do that as well. I would hope that we'd get to a point in time that the World Curling Federation is going to be the guiding light for what the rules of the game are going to be. And uh, with what they decide to do, Canada automatically should follow. But they don't, and this is what has gone on here. Uh, Kevin, is, 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 is curling like golf where... Two percent of all golfers can can break eighty, you know, or it's more, it's more like half a percent can break eighty, and 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 the rest are hackers like me and Warren, and you. Uh, is curling like that too? Like the the smallest percentage of the guys who play the best? Uh, very very small. So I, I just got back actually from Minneapolis. I was down this last week for uh, some curling schools and uh, and a, a lupus. Uh, research foundation event and we actually played it was really fun we actually went to a, a curling club by the name of frog town the frog town curling club oh, jimmy cool. <laughs> it's a six sheet club and uh it was fun it was a five sheet club these are great guys just got along terrific with them uh, but this is kind of neat so they had a five sheet club expanded to six sheets but on the one end along sheet e was the e sheet e lounge along the side <laughs> but sheedy lounge <laughs> <laughs> exactly the sheedy pretty cool anyway anyway they, they didn't want to change that but the sheet that was added was at the other side so but they didn't want to put a sheet f because that would screw up the lounge right so the sheet the new sheet that's added is the a for Canadians, their Canadian friends a I e get h it. Yeah. Uh-huh. the a I get it. and now so they got the a lounge on the other side so it's a pretty cool building you got lounges on both sides and in behind the the building and anyway the frogtown curling club i was just there and i'd never been there before i was just there this uh, this last week and uh, pretty cool but uh back to only two uh, percent of the players yes mm-hmm. so actually during this week during the bond spill i was talking to some of the various players about the new no tick and the problem is at the amateur level a lot of times they crash on the center guard and that's normal and it's all good but if the no-tick rules in play, all of a sudden, oh my goodness, it'll be a mess. So some of these rules that are implemented for high performance, we need to make sure we don't have necessarily bring the trickle-down effect to the club play. Right. Some, you know, to your point, how many teams need the no-tick? Well, probably just the very highest of high performance. Okay. Uh, but is it needed? I think so. Um, the leads have become so good at ticking rocks. You know, you make the two ticks perfectly. There's nowhere to hide, and so the game's kind of over after Leeds Rocks. It'll be an open hit or an open draw to the eight-foot circle. So I think it's very necessary at the high-performance level, certainly not necessary at the club level. So, But the problem with that, Warren, is, okay, so the high-performance way up here, that's where we're going to use it, good. The club level, nope. Where do you stop using it? Right. Where You know what I mean? There's always that line. Where Where is that line? And that's kind of where, is it the Wednesday night Super League? where the curlers are really quite good, do, do they need the no-tick? You know what I mean? And that's kind of what uh, we had lots of discussions this week with a, a lot of the curlers, which is 
which is fun. Yeah, we should clarify that Curling Canada announced it's the Scotties and the Briar where that will be used. That's that's it. But I, I agree with you. We we probably need two sets of rules. One is for high performance play, and the other one is for recreation play. You know, golf is another sport that needs to do the same type of thing, I believe. And it's the same with a five rock rule. The the, the Wednesday night league doesn't need a five rock rule. And I think, again, it has to be looked at the same way, possibly creating these are high-performance rules, these are rules for the recreation aspect of the game. And depending upon the event you are running or what you're doing, you decide which set of rules are going to be applied. But that's okay, Warren. You know, in, in the case of golf, um, most of the people I golf with, because, you know, we're duffers, you know, you, you hit off the tee box, you, you, know, you hit it in the trees to the right, go up there to where it entered and drop a ball, take a stroke. Right. Don't hit three off the tee, five off the tee, seven off right. the tee. You know, <laughs> yeah. it just go forever. You'd never get off the tee. So, you know, and that's not proper rules, but you have to play it that way yep. at, at my level of golf. And that, that's okay, I think. So mm-hmm. just at the club level in curling, I don't think you have to follow the, the rules that we see on television. Same as golf, Jimmy. Like if ball's in a tough lie and up against some roots or something, there's no way I'm playing it. Just right. bump it, get it out of the way so you're not going to hurt yourself. Like you you end up breaking a wrist or something. Yeah, they've actually changed a lot of golf courses now. You'll see on a local rule saying, uh, you know, because the, the old rule is if you hit it out of bounds, that you got to hit three off the tee, like you said, Kev. Now they're telling them, no, no, walk up to where it went out of bounds and drop it like it's a hazard, you know, so... All this has to be clear, and that's the same thing with curling. It needs to be very clear. These are the rules we're playing by because there's a certain number of people out there that really get hung up on the rules. And if mm-hmm. it isn't very clear, they can get quite ugly about, well, that's what the rule is, and this is what you have to do. And I won't get into it, but there's a lot of examples we could use in both golf and curling. So I think it needs to be very clearly defined, which it clearly isn't now. We talked uh, about this at the top of the show, so I don't know if you have anything more to add, Kev. Big event up in Grand Prairie, the Hearing Life uh, Challenge uh, is underway. Uh, six, we just noted there were 64 teams. Uh, so we need to get to your fellows' predictions uh, about this. And uh, Warren, I think, I think you edged Kevin out, didn't you, at the last Grand Slam on your predictions? I guess I did. But I think what we should do, I'll be my suggestion here, is we should pick... Four teams, each of us think that's going to qualify to be the last eight. And then later in the week, we can probably determine, once we get down to eight, then who our picks are. So I'm going to suggest we pick four teams that we think will qualify. Does that make sense? Okay, I'll go for that. I'm impressed you asked me, Warren, to be the mediator on this. (laughs) Does that make sense, Kevin? Sure. I'm going with Terranzoni. All right, so over on the women's side, um, I think based on what we've seen so far, Terranzoni, there's no question we have to pick her. Fushizawa, who we saw perform extremely well in uh, the last event as well, along with Einerson. And I think Hasselberg has been of a sleeper. They're ready to come to the forefront. For those of the four women I'm going to pick to be in the final eight. And on the men's side, I think Swaller this weekend showed that he is uh, really coming along. I think Botcher is ready to take a step forward. You have to go with Adin. And I'm also going to suggest Dunstone. I'm going to leave out Brad Gushu based on some of our discussion. Wow, with leaving him. out the goo. Well, where he said they're still not clicking quite right, and and I agree with him. They're they're probably still working out some kinks. So, and the same thing with Mawat. They've got that situation with uh, Lammy and his hand. So I don't think it takes much to you don't have to be off much to not be make it in the final eight. So those are going to be my four picks. Guju didn't play very well last week against a very good team, Adin. How are you not picking Guju? Well, Brad said himself that they, uh, they're they struggling a bit still, and he said, he said himself that they got a little fortunate a few times. And right. uh, 
I think, you know, if you aren't feeling that you're clicking 100%, you might be able to pull that off one week, but it's the second week it could be a little challenging. But we'll see what happens. Okay, Kev, four women, four men. Yeah, well, I'm just looking. I'm looking up the, all the teams. Oh. I want to make sure I don't not pick somebody like Gushu <laughs> and leave him out. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, we got to make this exciting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, on the men's side. Let's go on the men's side. I have to pick Botcher. They look good out there. I got to pick Botcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to pick Cooey. I was watching them practice earlier in the week, and they're really putting a lot of effort in. Nicodine should have won that event. Half rock double. He's going to make that most of the time. Right. He will come out <laughs> sharp, I think, uh, to come back. So that's uh, three and Brad Guju. That's my four for the semifinals. On the women's side, let's shock everybody with Terenzoni. Carrie Anerson. <laughs> I've got to go with uh, Unji Gim out of South Korea. Who the fourth team? You know what? It's really a, a, a toss-up for me between Fujisawa and uh, Rachel Holman. Um, oh, you know what? I think Rachel's going to play well this week. Oh, and, and Fujisawa is so good. But anyway, I will pick Rachel Holman as my fourth. I mean, these teams are all so good. It doesn't take much of a, of a blip anywhere, and bingo, they don't, uh, they don't qualify. You're going to be the hero or the goat, Warren. I know. That's the story of my life. In the House, brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling Equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of Curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Still didn't get my doorbell fixed. Sorry, fellas. Okay. (laughs) Okay, time for our guest. Uh, You listeners love the guest. Uh, We get... Big numbers when we have them on. Like I said, fellas, that, that doesn't bode well for us if guests are bigger than, <laughs> than we are. Uh, and we are joined this morning by only the second American to become the president of the WCF, the World Curling Federation, of course. His name is Bo Welling, and he joins us right now uh, from his truck at the side of the road. Uh, Bo, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Jim. Super excited to be here on the show with you guys. Well, thank you very much, Uh where are, you, where are you off to, Bo, the president of the WCF? What's up today? Uh, well, today I'm in Park City, Utah, and um, and Kevin was just reminding me he was last here at the Olympics in 2002, which, uh, interesting enough, was when the, the hook really got set in me about the sport of curling, so uh, full circle, so to speak. When you took this job, Bo, well, first of all, before we do that, Bo, your work for years has been uh, in golf course design, uh, which I could have a million shows about it. I'm I'm an old golfer from way back. But I am to understand, and we are, that you've worked with Tiger Woods on your golf course architecture? Yeah, that's correct. I have my own golf course design firm, which is very creatively called Bow Welling Design, uh, but been very fortunate to work uh, kind of all over the world, really. And uh, it's been great. And I do have a relationship with, with him, and I've uh, been very fortunate to, to help him on, on his golf course projects as well. Yeah, I think we know who Tiger Woods is. 
That'd be a good client, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Taking um, which Jim Jerome, I mean, same thing. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's a really proud moment for Bo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bo, tell me this: when you, when uh, you take this job uh, as president of the WCF, huge job, biggest biggest in the world, I guess, in in the sport of curling. Was it something you did, Bo, because you uh, look ahead saying, I've, I've got more to add for sure to the, to the sport, and I'd like to get some things done, uh, hence I'm going to take the gig as president? I think I definitely feel like my service to the sport of curling is not done. Uh, and it's been a, you know, a long ride, and I, I think I've been effective uh, along the way. Um, I am still very active in the golf business, so uh, when, when Kate Kathens, our, our previous president, um, termed out this past year, you know, I had several of our members, some of our nations really encouraged me to run. And I, I really had to reflect upon it about, you know, did I have time to do this? Could I do this? Did I want to do this? But obviously I answered those questions in the affirmative, but I really don't view this as sort of me and me as the title of the president of the World Curling Federation. Rather, I view myself as, as sort of a leader, a collaborator, one that's going to work with all of our members, all of our board members, all of our external stakeholders to hopefully make really good decisions about this wonderful sport going forward. So that's kind of my, my orientation to the post. Before we bring in Kevin and Warren, what's immediately on the agenda, both for the WCF? Well, when I got elected to the board in 2018, I was tasked with, uh, in essence, rewriting our strategic plan. And so I'm an extremely strategic-focused person. And so right before us right now is we really, really need to revisit our strategic plan. Um, and to that end, we're, we're looking to have a big a big summit, uh, so to speak, with with a lot of stakeholders to really talk about the future and talk about strategy. And, and, and so that, that's really what, what a lot of focus is, um, as well as trying to make the relationships that the president needs to make sort of in the IOC ecosystem. So spend a lot of time on, on that as well. Uh, and looking forward to getting over to Switzerland here in a few weeks for the, for the IF forum. Um, so it's busy. It's busy on, on, on lots of fronts. Uh, and last question, uh, how is the growth of curling doing so far? Yeah. I, I mean, I think we've been growing, you know, well, but I think we want to grow more. And and what does growth mean? You know, we've obviously added member associations and, and nations. We have some of our members where they're increasing curlers, but I think there needs to be a real focus on increasing the number of curlers themselves as well as the number of facilities because I think that goes hand in hand. And obviously, I'm a person that builds facilities in the golf space, so I'm, I'm pretty uh, that resonates a lot with me, but also building our fan and our viewership. Um, so that's what growth means to me. It's a big part of our strategic plan, and it's a big part of what some of our focus will be going forward. Over to you, Kev. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And just uh, maybe a year ago, something like that, when we played in that golf tournament together, and uh, I knew you were on the board. I didn't realize I was talking to the big kahuna that was going to be here shortly. So congratulations on becoming the president. You know, you and I talked about a lot of stuff over that weekend. You and I got along so good, maybe we think somewhat alike, but when it comes to facilities, I, I think that's really important. On this show, I don't know if you realize, but we have a lot of countries reach out to us and, and, uh, and states and different groups to talk about buildings and structure and growth and all, the, all those things. But your strategic group, I guess, how are we going to get more buildings built? It's... it's it, you know what I mean? What's what's the kind of the idea inside of inside your brain as to how 
I guess you think it could occur, that type of growth when you're talking about, that's a big ask is uh, new structures in some of these countries around the world. Sure. I mean, so I, I think every country is going to be a little bit different, but, you know, we've had a lot of success in the United States in terms of new facility development. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to leverage expertise that exists throughout the WCF to help people get to the point where building a facility becomes more and more doable. So leveraging expertise, I think looking at some new potential financing structures or is something that's on the plate to kind of look at. And, and one of the big challenges is not just building the facility. It's then like, what is the sustainable business operation around it? And so I know, for example, through, you know, with the help of the WCF a few years ago, for example, uh, Belgium built a new facility and, and they've done well. And, and they have roughly 100 curlers sort of active in that. But, they, you know, they're very anxious to take the next step. And so the expertise of, of how do you grow an operation into a, a sustaining and growing operation, I think, becomes a big part of that. So it's sort of a mix of things, but I think it starts with, with leveraging expertise. And I, and I think what I'm hopeful of is, is that we at the WCF can help um, facilitate communication and facilitate collaboration across, uh, across the Federation and with subject matter experts, as well as then looking at potentially leveraging, you know, being a Federation and how that might relate to some financing structures. You mentioned a wonderful phrase. You just said controlled growth, because uh, to your point, curling is growing like crazy right now in a lot of places around the world and a lot more countries I understand no I shouldn't talk at a, at a school or anything but it sounds like a lot more nations want to get into the World Curling Federation what, what do you see in a few years as far as numbers go because we've got a lot of nations now and a lot more wanting in yeah I mean I think it's they're ripe to grow I mean in 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 many many markets and I think that to the extent that we can help our members to facilitate that growth I think that's a big part of what we need to be focused on. We obviously have many programs from our development assistant program to some of the World Academy of Sport programming um, that we're providing to our members. I think there needs to be a big emphasis on how do we help produce more curlers uh, around the world. And, you know, I think, again, every market's different. And we've got some markets, you know, some members coming on board where, you know, ICE is probably, you know, a long way off, but we've got other places where ice is available and, and can be leveraged to, to grow the sport. And we have other places that are right on the verge of getting ice. So I think every member association sort of is on a different developmental track. And so I think we have to craft, you know, our services and our assistance to them based on that. Just um, maybe stay on that topic for a second, Bo. And I look at Canada as a as a reference point, because, of course, the biggest curling nation in the world and the most facilities. But we have a very diversified situation in Canada where there are many privately operated, run, I guess, owned facilities, but there are a number of public ones where the provincial and local governments fund the facility. They run it. They control it. And I've often wondered from a World Curling Federation point of view, and I go back to my involvement in Japan many years ago, great interest in the sport of curling in Japan, but I know the big challenge is facilities because of the cost of, of property being so high. Of uh, The WCF may be looking at beginning to work with some of these smaller countries and lobbying governments to become more involved in the structure of facilities because I think that's a key factor. If they haven't got government money involved, at the uh, municipal level, it's going to be pretty difficult. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th I think one of the, you know, sort of the bully pulpit of the title and, you know, who we are as a federation is something that can be done that, that you know, can be leveraged in our member associations. A, per a great example is recently in Ireland where, 
you know, we helped we helped with some meetings with the government there and are starting to make some progress there. But I think that can be done in a bigger way, in a more strategic way. But again, I'm also focused, or we should also, we all should be focused on not just building the facility, but what is the business plan around it going forward? Because I think that's that's a trap that um, you can run into in, in any sort of municipal building of recreational facilities. Yeah, you could even come and do a lot of that instruction here in Canada because we have a lot of facilities that are underutilized because they aren't approaching it properly. And I look at the poster child for uh, how a facility can uh, do well is Shaska in in Minnesota, where they've got that very, very successful club and in service 10 months of the year, almost 15, 16 hours a day. And I think in Canada, we have a lot of facilities, but many, many of them are underutilized because of the approach that's being taken. So I think you're right. There needs to be direction to curling overall about how to utilize their, their facilities better. And I think one of the things that the Chaska and Blaine and the other Twin Cities new facilities shows is that there's really a latent demand for curling. And so how do you go unlock that latent demand? And, and, and I think it maybe means presenting curling in a different way. And that's kind of what Chaska has done. And obviously put it into a growing area with food and beverage and, and whatnot. But I mean, I think there are a lot of successes that are happening that are maybe happening in a little bit differently than they have traditionally. And that's, that's what I'm trying to speak to about leveraging expertise across the Federation so that lessons can be learned and new approaches can be taken. So you mentioned that uh, your number one task here is going to be a new strategic plan. As you're moving forward with this, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the WCF at the moment? It's again, had pretty rapid growth. I can go back to remember playing in a world championship. I won't even tell you what year it was, but there were 1909. Eight, <laughs> the, yep. I was going to say 1929, <laughs> but it was the fact it was a big, it was big news because the number of teams in the world championship had increased from eight to 10 because there was now 10 countries and now we're up to about 68. So with all that, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the WCF? It's not necessarily about getting a new strategic plan as much as it is revisiting our strategic plan and seeing how do we how do we evolve and, and go forward. It's about about the future. So our strategic plan right now consists of sort of four big pillars, which are organizational sustainability, uh, engagement, uh, competitions, and development. And so it, speaking to organizational sustainability, I think that gets to, to, to some of what I think is very important. And, and one of those is we really have to start developing additional commercial opportunities for the federation right now the majority of our revenue really comes from the participation in the olympics and and as we you know nearly discovered in beijing like that that had a potentially material impact on on the operation so i think we have to have to work on that of how, how do we look at additional commercial opportunities and to that end hugh milliken's going to be heading up a, a new group to help start to put some strategy around all that. So we're excited about that. But at the same time, I think we, we really need to look at for, to our athletes and our athlete well-being and our welfare and making sure their voice is being heard. I'm, I'm excited that in some of the changes that we got across in the last several years that the athletes now represented, uh, you know, uh, on the board, um, Jill officer, the chair of the athletes commissions on the board now and have seats of the competition rules nominations committee. So the athlete voice is something that we want to make sure is heard and, uh, and, and sort of looking after the welfare of our, our athletes. At the same time, I think we have to continue to develop and we have to grow. And you know, that relates to a lot of the discussion we just talked about. And at the same time, on the engagement piece, you know, we want to be seen. We want more eyeballs on curling. And so we obviously have a new streaming platform that we're excited about. 
but I think it's not just about broadcast. It's, it's, it's about, you know, getting in front of governments like you were just speaking to, like, how do we go engage more uh, with curling to pursue our goals and objectives? Uh, Bo, let's talk about the game itself for a minute. We um, uh, get a lot of people who listen to the show and we get a lot of discussion about how, how are we going to attract younger curlers to the game uh, in particular in our country, in Canada, our national championships, the Scotties uh, women's and the, and the men's briar, you know, they, they used to pack in 15,000 uh, in big cities here. And now that has dropped way off in there in much smaller centers. And so I guess naysayers are, are starting to weigh in saying the game's got to move along. They got to shorten the game. Uh, they got to get rid of some rules. They need more action. It's, it's got to be quicker. It's got to be more interactive if we're going to get younger people. What do you say about that, Bo? I'm a big believer that, that if you've got to look to the future and it got to evolve and you've got to try to be better. And to that end, you know, Graham Prowse there from Canada has been leading a, a working group called the Maximizing the Value Group that's really trying to look at all facets of this as it relates to sports presentation, what's, what the actual sport product is, trialing these, these different rules to, to look to potentially affect the game. And so that's been going on now for the last two, two and a half years. And we're trying to not rush to any decisions, but right, make the right decisions. But the goal of, of making curling be a better product, if you will, for a changing world and a changing uh, population is a, a big part of what that effort is. We The pandemic affected us a little bit on that in that we really wanted to trial some rules that uh, the pandemic pandemic sort of disrupted so it's gone on a little bit longer than maybe we wanted to do but we look to you know, start to have this come to a conclusion on certain elements uh you know next year i think just one other thing too so I, I know you guys in canada have been really good at looking at diversity but we're excited about a new diversity equity inclusion group that we're in the process of forming and uh, you know i think that that is something that i'm personally very excited about uh, sort of looking at the diversification of, of our curling community. Like we, we, we talk about the WCF a lot of times, not being the World Curling Federation, but being the World Curling family. And I think that connection to people is a big part of what it makes our sport so special. It's a big part of why I'm here. Um, but I think looking at, at how do we increasingly grow our family and a more diverse family is very, very important. And, and not to throw golf statistics at you, but I will. Uh, one of the things that's, that's been happening in golf in the United States is 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 we're seeing that diversification. So if you look at U.S. junior uh, juniors, girls now are twice what they were uh, 20 years ago, and non-Caucasians are five and a half times what they were 20 years ago. And there's some programming and some reasons why all that happened. And uh, and so I'm, I think I'm I'm excited about all of this. Uh, you know, I I, I understand it, 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 we we have had an issue or potentially have an issue as it relates to youth. But I think there's a lot of opportunity in that space. Getting back to high performance, I guess, um, and the structure of such. Do you think there's an appetite for some sort? Now, this is something that you and I, of course, talked a little wee bit about, but not much, um, about a World Cup type of uh, venture, kind of like you see in other winter sports. We don't have such a thing. We do have world championships. But that's kind of a different setup as what uh, a curling World Cup could be. Your thoughts on that? Because it's something we talk about on the show here a, a fair amount. And so obviously we had an effort in, in, in trying to, to do a World Cup that, uh, you know, had a sole financing source, uh, you know, from China. And, and that didn't potentially work out the way we had all hoped it would. But I think there still remains a strong desire to have, uh, you know, additional product in and around the World Cup um, concept. I think, however, that it's a 
it's sort of a multivariable thing. Like it, it's got to be commercially viable. You know, we've got to figure that out. Um, we've got to figure out how it relates to the calendar uh, in terms of athlete well-being and how busy everything is. But I think there's a strong desire to do that. I, I see this as potentially being something that is potentially collaborative with, with other people and other stakeholders as opposed to the WCF just trying to go do it all alone like it, it, it the previous attempt. But I, I think, as you and I have spoken, I, I think there it, it makes perfect sense that we should try to figure out how to do that. We just have to do it in the right way and make, make sure that it's viable and commercially viable. Boy, do you bring up one great point about uh, the scheduling and athletes uh... – well, athlete, athlete's health, for one thing. Um, you're right. There's there's a huge appetite to play more and more and more and more because curling is growing so fast. Let's just keep having more and more big events. And do you see in the future an actual curling season where there's, a, there, where there's an absolute break? Or do you see more curl all around the whole 12-month year and the curlers decide when to take the break? You know, I don't know if I think about it in those terms. I I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, like getting it, getting it right for, for everybody. And I I think what we, what we need to not do is try to overextend ourselves and our resources to the point of not doing things as best as we possibly can do. So to me, it's about being strategic. Uh, You know, again, you and I've talked about golf and different levels of golf tours and stuff like that. And so I think, I think there are different ways to kind of think about the calendar. Um, but, but it's something I think we, we all sort of have to get coordinated and, and it, obviously there are multiple parties that are involved in this. And I think, again, I, I think one of the strengths that I hopefully that I'm going to bring to the WCF is, is this idea of collaboration and communication and, and really talking across stakeholders and, and trying to help make informed decisions, help groups of people make informed decisions about the future. On this show, we've talked a few times about the structure of the World Men's and Women's Championships, which are the main focus of certainly curling at the world level. And I just referenced a few months ago, back in the old days, when there were 10 countries that played in the World Men's Championship, there wasn't even a women's then. That's <laughs> how long ago that was. Anyway, and so time has evolved. And of course, there's more countries and more people want in the World Championship. And to try to I guess, appease the situation at hand, uh, the number keeps increasing, and now it's 13. And to play a full round robin of 13 teams is a very long period of time with a playoff. Uh, In my opinion, the same problem exists here in Canada. Events are too long. And probably the more appropriate way would be looking at the whole situation like many other sports do, where you start to pool your countries. So maybe at this stage of the game with 68 nations, WCF maybe start with two, three pools, much like the European Championship, and you got ten pool, ten teams in each pool, and annually a couple of teams go up and a couple of teams go down. And I know the challenge is particular from the European side of going about and trying to do that. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is this something that ultimately you think is going to be the goal, or where do you think that might go? And I know it's been discussed, and I, I know the challenges. So I mean, we're working on lots of different concepts and and uh, as it relates to trying to to look at the world championships and 13 you know just doesn't sound right right i mean let's just it, it, you know we've kind of gotten there you know for a variety of, of reasons but i think that when we pull our athletes they seem to be very consistent of wanting to play a you know a single pool concept just play a full round robin when we look at the idea of doing pools of eight, let's say two pools of eight and expanding to 16, there's a big negative impact on broadcast in terms of the number of games that are guaranteed for, for certain of our nations. And, and so all of these become a pretty 
multivariable calculus again. But I think there's no doubt that there is there's a push for a larger world championship. But I think we just have to be smart about it, about how do we go look at it. And, and we're in the process of sort of looking at different concepts right now as it relates to that. Bo, you had mentioned earlier that the main revenue stream for the WCF comes from the Olympics. Uh, I'm kind of ignorant to that. How do you, you don't have to give us numbers, of course, but but how does that work? How do you get revenue from the Olympics? Is it from fan attendance or or what? The IOC, in essence, uh, you know, has all the rights as it relates to the, the Olympics, and and we as the international federation and partner of the IOC for delivery of curling at the Olympics, we get a share of the revenue that's generated from from the Olympics. So. They're by far and away our substantial uh, funder, if you will. And and so what I referenced earlier is, you know, with the pandemic situation, you know, headed into Tokyo and then to Beijing, there was a lot of uncertainty about you know, Olympic revenues going forward. And, and, you know, it's scary if, you know, if 90 some odd percent of your, your revenue comes from a single source, if something happens to that source. So I think we really need to, to look hard at how do we diversify our revenue base. And it even goes back, Kevin, to the World Cup. I mean, like to the extent that we could come up with a financially viable product, that's that's a huge positive on many, many levels. But but that's that's right now the situation, Jim. Uh, Bo, before you go, uh, tell us how often does the WCF uh, meet? Is it is it a full-time gig? Is everyone talking to each other every single day? Or how does it work? We're meeting uh, roughly monthly, uh, virtually, and uh, and then we'll have a handful of in-person meetings as well. But we have a variety of different commissions and working groups that are that are helping to work, do our work, uh, kind of throughout throughout the season. And so those groups are meeting more frequently. Um, you know, I'm probably personally in contact with the office. Uh, pretty close to every day back in Scotland and our board members and, and other stakeholders pretty, pretty regularly. So it's, it's a lot of work for sure. One of the big things that we've done in the last four years, I probably should have said this earlier, is that we've really moved the WCF from being a, a board that's very operational to a board that's now a strategic policy-based board. And, and so the operational work of the WCF really is staff-driven now. But Obviously, we've got certain responsibilities of the board to, to be oversight of that as well as to really set the strategy going forward. And so we've got a great board, you know, super happy to have some new additions to the board. But, uh, you know, our two vice presidents and Graham Prowse from Canada and Hugh Milliken from Australia are doing wonderful, great work. And uh, But it's been great to see the board get more diversified, you know, Sergio from Brazil is now on the board, and it's great to have our first South American on the board. It's great to have Jill Officer on the board, and um, we're you know we're looking to we we also have the ability to have independent directors now at the WCF, which we uh, a couple of years ago didn't have, and so we will be looking to potentially uh, to add some independence to the board as well, which I think is a very powerful thing and something I'm excited about. So the board has become uh, way less operational, more diversified, uh, less hierarchical, and, you know, very much strategic base. So excited about that. Before you go, Bo, um, Kevin and I, we play at six or seven different golf courses here, and we're wondering if you could do a redesign on them. Uh, could you make them 2,000 yards shorter? Could you make the fairways 60 yards wider and take out all the freaking bunkers? Would that, if we got you up no here? No problem. It's, ama- <laughs> it's amazing what money can do. Well, not a problem. <laughs> Bo, thanks, thanks very guys. much, man. Where's your, where's your next project, by the way? Your next golf course. Well, I'm here about to go look at one in Park City, Utah. So uh, we'll see if this comes to fruition. But we're under construction um, in, uh, about to be under construction in Austin, Texas, and Sea Island, Georgia, 
uh, Highlands of Scotland, and then we've got one under construction in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, with Tiger right now. So it's busy. Good. If, if you're a golf course architect and you get to put one in Scotland, you really know what you're doing, man. I'll tell yeah, you it's, that. Um, it's, I'm super excited about it. We'll, we'll have to get we'll have to get all three of you guys over there when we, when, for the opening. We'd love to do it. Uh, our president, Bo Welling, joined us this morning. Thanks a lot, Bo. Carry on with uh, whatever you're doing. You're a busy man. We really, really appreciate you uh, stepping up and uh, answering a bunch of questions today, Bo. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bo. Thanks, guys. Once again, I've managed to uh, blow apart the time limit. We were supposed to do this show. (laughs) But we got some good stuff. Very good, boys. We've got your picks, and you can watch all the action on Sportsnet uh, this week. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Uh, If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. Thanks a lot to Coyote. Last week, we talked a bit about the curling dues dispute going on in the USA between the Grand National Curling Club and USA Curling. Canada has also had many issues regarding dues over the years, so maybe we should ask the basic question, why should a curler pay dues of any sort to a provincial, state, or national association? Where did this idea start? And what should maybe be done with it going forward? Greg Wolf sent us a fairly lengthy email and stated this, USCA dues, to my understanding, are a little under 35 bucks a year, The issue is that folks started asking, what are we getting for the $35? And the answer is, not much. (laughs) I think the issue better be characterized as a membership bleeding issue, as the current dispute is because the USCA wants the Grand National to toss out members who won't also join the USCA. Hmm. I don't know what side I fall on this one. Uh, Warren, I think you know something about this. I've been around a long time, and this has been a problem forever. And uh, I think if we go back and we look into time, the old Canadian Curling Association, which was originally Dominion Curling Association, came into existence in 1935. But the Briar started in 1927. And the reason why the Dominion Curling Association came into existence was to standardize the rules. Because at that point in time, McDonald Tobacco completely ran the Briar top to bottom, the various provincial associations would assist them in running the playoffs at that level, but primarily in providing ice. And uh, Dominion Curling Association had nothing to do with it. So that was the initial function. When uh, time went on, I first became involved with the Canadian Curling Association, which changed its name in 1967 from DCA to CCA. The organization still didn't have any major function. And the dues issue then was a big argument. Um, it was always a discussion, well, what do you need the money for and what's it going to go for? And so it was a fact of curling clubs were never honest about it. So there was a point in time when the old Canadian Curling Association collected money from the clubs based on how many members they have. But it became evident after a period of time, a club might have 400 uh, members, but they'd only say they had 100. And there was no way of really checking that. The other thing that happened through time is if you had teams entering a playoff at the Canadian level, you had to be affiliated with the Canadian Curling Association. But you went into the prairies, a lot of these little two-sheet or little two-sheet uh, natural ice clubs, there were three or 400 of them. One year, 200 of them would, would affiliate. The next year, another 200 would affiliate because they only affiliated if they had someone entering a playdown. So it became really messy, and it was always the argument, well, what's the money for? What do you use the money for? And then finally, Curling Canada 
old CCA, decided that they were going to change things to make it simpler. So they came in with a per sheet assessment. So no longer was a club charged by the number of members they had, they were charged by the number of sheets they had. But it was still very, very low. In BC, each member is charged $13. Two of it goes to Curling Canada. And, and, uh, pardon me, BC is $21. Two goes to Curling Canada. Alberta is 13 Two to Curling Canada. So I'm trying to find out yesterday, but it seems like now there has been a change in this allocation that $2 now from each member is going to Curling Canada, but it's still a very small amount of money. And if I look at Curling Canada's entire budget in 2019, which is the last clear one we can look at because of COVID, their total revenue was 18785000 from curling dues and competitors' fees. It was only 463000 of that 18 million. So in Canada, it's a very small segment. It's always been the big question, well, what do you need the money for? What do you need the money for? And I think... Both Canada, USA is going through this right now where they want to come up with an individual assessment, as Greg has suggested, and so much for each member. Fair enough, but then they're asking, they want the clubs to collect it. And that's what the part of the dispute is in the Grand National Club is because some clubs haven't collected the money from the members who say they're going to belong to the USCA, now USCA wants to suspend them. And I think everybody, again, has got to get into a big room and they got to talk about this. And it's needed for the last 50 years as to, okay, what do we need money for? How do we deal with that? Maybe if it's a $25 assessment, they have to break it down. Five is going to junior development, 10 is going to competitions and down the line and making very clear what the money is going to be used for. And the other thing is to come up with an incentive for someone to want to play as Greg What do I want to pay $30 for? It's like in golf. If I don't want a handicap registered, I'm not going to become a member of the Golf Association. So they've got to come up with a reason why people are going to be members. Maybe an affinity card type of approach could be used, which an idea I threw out in probably about 2007, but never got off the ground. So anyway, it's a confusing thing. It always has been. It needs to be dealt with. Kevin, over to you. The bottom line, I think the the dispute makes sense. Um, the people that pay the dues of, of, of 30 bucks or $34 or whatever it is, they do want to see where's my money going. What, and that's fair. I think that's reasonable. Um, obviously, the, the national, provincial, state, or national associations need that money because there's costs to running these associations. So, and the people who pay the 34 bucks, um, I think they realize that. That there, there is a reason that you pay a due to be part of something. Um, but they would just like more clarity as to where the money's actually going. Like uh, out of the 34 bucks, how much goes to X, 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 and X? And if, if the association would do that, I don't know if there'd be that much problem from all the various clubs and, and, and so on across Canada or the U.S. It's just, yeah, you know, we've, this is what, we, what have we been doing, guys, about uh, a little over two years <clears throat> of this podcast and we have brought up the idea of the big meeting in the room so much. And uh, it looks like it's going to happen at the world level. Have a big meeting, <clears throat> the big table, the round, get all the, the, uh, the parties involved. That's great. But we have to do it at the Canadian level, at the U.S. level, uh, state and province level as well. We just really need to get everything out in the open so uh, we can increase the amount of people that play our great sport. These disputes are important, though. I never think these, uh, when you get these fights, like what's going on in the States right now, they're very, very important that one side needs to say, hey, I'm not positive where all this money's going. We need to find out what's being here. And then the other side needs to be able to answer, okay, well, the money's going to here, 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 and here. I think that's only fair. Right. On Friday night, I was talking to uh, 
buddy of mine down south. Uh, the annual meeting is Friday night at 6.30. It's on the USAC YouTube channel. Is actually going to air the meeting, and that's where they're going to be talking about the motion uh, that was uh, tabled to, uh, to terminate the GNCC. The motion is that uh, the GNCC, the Grand National Curling Club, a regional association member of the U.S. Curling, have failed to revoke its association with its member clubs, having delinquent dues dating from January 31, 2021, as required by USA Curling Policy 21-08. Regional at-large club, member club, and affiliated organizations, policies, and procedures violating that policy 5.D have its U.S. membership revoked pursuant to the USA curling policy 21-15 membership suspension. Further move the GNCC having passed its current bylaws that violate USA curling bylaw section 5.2 and USA curling policy 21-08 have its US curling membership terminated pursuant to section 5.3 of the USA curling bylaws. So that's what's being looked at Jimmy on Friday night at 6:30. I'm not going to put a comment forward what I think should happen, right. but curling people should pay attention. So Friday night on the USAC that's the um, U.S. Athletes Commission uh, YouTube channel. You can watch and see what happens uh, yeah. with this meeting. And I don't believe suspending people uh, is a solution. They've, th- that's not the way they're going to resolve No, it's it. just going to make more people mad. So the big room talk. Get everybody in the room and iron it out. That's the right answer. Yep. It, yep. Craziness. Yeah. I'm, I'm confused. If I play in a men's basketball league, I just pay like 100 bucks to get gym time. If you're not a member of a club... And I want to play in a little beer league in curling, uh, so I pay whatever eighty bucks. Does do, do they get some of that money? No, no, that's okay. the problem. And it's 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 like if if you play a round of golf, you're not paying any money to right. okay. to any national body. And this is the pro- problem. They've got to sit down and and go through. And like I've been involved in these boardrooms in the Canadian level for. 40 years mm. I was there, and it never, ever, ever has been properly discussed. It, they try to usually pull something over without mm-hmm. saying very much, yeah, we're going to increase this, but don't say what we're going to do with it. And and there never has been, from my memory, a proper discussion about how we're going to deal with all this and how does it work going forward. And the distrust between the national body, even in Canada, and the provincial ones is huge. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. All right. We'll talk more about it down the road, I am sure. Uh, mailbag. We do it each and every week. It's brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fool your day. Thanks a lot to Nestle. Uh, we got an email from uh, Greg Wolf uh, talking about gambling. How do we do it? Sports Interaction is one of our sponsors. Uh, if you go to the, uh, be, uh, without reading your email here, uh, Greg, but we get your point. Uh, I wouldn't mind a podcast, perhaps one dropping between you, uh, between your regular shows where you speak of how to appropriately gamble. Well, don't look at me because I inappropriately gamble. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so if you go to their website, Sports Interaction, you can see that they are taking bets on curling. Thank you for that. And uh, that'll be interesting because I'm going to be betting on curling. It's lovely. Uh, boys, what a show. Uh, fully packed show. Uh, lots in there uh, this week. And uh, Bo was really good, wasn't he? Uh, loved loved what he had to say, the new president of the World Curling Federation. Uh, thank you very much, uh, everyone, for listening. We'd like to th- uh, extend a big thank you to Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. He handles all our Facebook stuff and our Facebook page. Uh, if you don't belong, uh, check it out and join. There's a bunch of stuff on there every week. 
uh, send us an email and we could read yours insidecurling at gmail.com once again thanks Sports Interaction Coyote Boost and Goldline who've been making this all possible now for a couple of years Kevin good luck up in Grand Prairie uh, Warren I'd like you to spend more time uh, doing some curling stuff this week okay <laughs> thanks Jim <laughs> take it easy boys thanks a lot Jimmy